Joe Biden declares he has cancer while trying to explain why he's on the verge of declaring a climate emergency. The Europeans prepare for a cold and dreary winter. And Mayor Eric Adams laments the cost of illegal immigration in New York City. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. I talk about them every single show. So why haven't you just gotten a VPN yet? Get ExpressVPN right now at ExpressVPN.com. Slash Ben. Well, you're spending way too much money on everything. There is no reason why you should be spending too much money on your cell phone bill. And the big phone companies, they're charging you an arm and a leg for services you aren't even using. That's so they can pay for all of their brick and mortar stores and all of their social media marketing and, you know, all of their ESG and DEI programs. Well, you don't need to pay for any of that stuff. Instead, head on over to Pure Talk. Pure Talk still gives you talk, text, plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. No price increase there. I'm a Pure Talk customer. They are the most reliable network in America. Their 5G coverage is great. Plus, they're a veteran-owned company with customer service team based right here in the United States. Stop giving your money away to Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. Switch to my guys over at Pure Talk. They make it super easy with a no-risk money-back guarantee. Head on over to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter promo code Shapiro, save 50% off your very first month of coverage. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro right now. Again, that is puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro. And when you do, you get 50% off your very first month of coverage. You get the same great coverage as one of the big guys without paying that same giant price. Head on over to puretalk.com and make sure that you use promo code Shapiro today. Well, Joe Biden is having an extraordinarily rough go of it. Jim Garrity over at the Morning Jolt and National Review points out that the bottom is falling out for the Biden administration. The polls for Joe Biden are just abysmal at this point. Among Hispanic voters, he is down below 20%. According to the National Review, Ed Morrissey is pointing out that everyone in comedy world is now tagging him, as we pointed out yesterday on the show. And now Joe Biden is getting smacked around by the media for being insufficiently committed to climate change legislation or executive orders. The ABC News headline about Joe Biden announcing executive actions to address climate change, quote, Biden to announce executive actions on climate change that still fall short. So he hasn't even announced the executive action yet, but apparently he's already falling short. Things are getting very, very rough for Joe Biden. And again, the real reason for this is because once the polls start to go for him, there's nothing left. The only reason that Joe Biden is president of the United States is because the Democratic Party believes that he is a stand-in for what comes next. Well, at the point that he becomes inconvenient, they start thinking, well, what comes next? The problem for them, of course, is there is no next. If Joe Biden was the stand-in, if he was just the sort of paper tiger who was there to be removed at the moment that he became unpopular, you would imagine they would have to have something backing that up. The problem for them, of course, is that they don't. They have pretty much nothing. Well, all of this has reared its ugly head with regard to Joe Biden and his climate emergency declaration. He's stuck now between a rock and a hard place. The fact is that our gas prices are incredibly high because of environmental policy. But now there's a big heat wave. And his answer to the heat wave is more of that garbage environmental policy that is likely to lead to higher gas prices. So he's really, really stuck here. And when he's in a bind, Joe Biden always, always veers to his left. He always attempts to placate his base. The Wall Street Journal says President Biden, who has at times expressed reluctance to take executive action to get around gridlock in Congress, is coming under increasing pressure by Democratic lawmakers and activists to make greater use of an authority some in the party have been skeptical of in the past, emergency powers. The president is facing calls to declare a public health emergency to expand access to abortions after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. He's being pressed to use a national emergency declaration and other emergency powers to tackle climate-related priorities after they were stripped out of the Democrats' budget bill because of opposition from Senator Joe Manchin. Biden did not actually declare a climate emergency during an event Wednesday at a former coal-fired plant in Massachusetts. 
but he came pretty close. So here was Joe Biden on Twitter yesterday. He tweeted that he was about to announce a bunch of executive action. He said, my message today is loud and clear. Since Congress is not acting on the climate emergency, I will. And in the coming weeks, my administration will begin to announce executive actions to combat this emergency. So what exactly will his executive actions be? Well, presumably there will be more regulations on major ways that Americans get energy. And Joe Biden declared that while he's not declaring an emergency yesterday, he's declared an intent to declare an emergency. So here is Joe Biden yesterday. He's standing, by the way, in front of this dead coal-fired plant. I don't know who decides to put him in front of what looks like pretty much a trash heap, but it's pretty indicative of where things are for this administration. Climate change is literally an existential threat to our nation and to the world. So my message today is this. Since Congress is not acting as it should, and these guys here are, but we're not getting many Republican votes, this is an emergency, an emergency. And I will, I will look at it that way. I said last week, and I'll say it again loud and clear. As president, I'll use my executive powers to combat climate, the climate crisis in the absence of congressional action, notwithstanding their incredible action. Congress won't do it. And I know there are some people here who are in Congress. And so I'm going to do it, but they're doing it. And it's an emergency, but not an emergency. And I'm to declare, and it's declaration and climate change. Inspiring stuff there from the president of the United States standing in front of what looks like an apocalyptically empty field. Again, his, his comms people are doing him no favors, either one, by putting him out there in front of a camera, or two, by putting him in front of what appears to be a waste site. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing stuff. Joe Biden... And just reveling in his incoherence yesterday, the, the big attention getter yesterday, of course, is that he accidentally announced that he had cancer. So that was weird. He was doing one of his, let me tell you a story from my childhood routines. And every time Joe Biden tells a story from his childhood, it's false. I can't remember the last time he told a story from his childhood that had the ring of truth and credibility. And my favorite one, of course, is Joe Biden. You know, I was a child in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And my father, he said to me, Joey, Joey, see those two men making out on a street corner? In 1953, that's what love looks like, Joey. See those two men going at it like, like a jackhammer. So, <laughs> so he did some of that yesterday. And he did it with regard to environmental policy in Scranton, Pennsylvania. He talked about how his mother used to wipe the oil slicks off the windshield, which, um, I'm sorry, did he grow up in There Will Be Blood? Uh, and then he said that this gave him cancer, which it, what? Um, I feel like that's a big announcement that you have cancer, Mr. President. So here was that. And just up the road, a little school I went to, Holy Rosary Grade School. And because it was a four-lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us, and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer and why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Whoa, Joe Biden has cancer. He doesn't have cancer, guys. He doesn't. Now, the White House tried to spin this because being in the White House comms department is just the worst job in the world. That is a terrible job. It doesn't matter the administration, but under Joe Biden, it's a particularly bad job because you have to pretend that this incoherent old bat somehow is making some sort of sense. So they actually tried to claim that what he meant by this yesterday is that he has had skin cancers removed in the past, which makes no sense. He's literally telling a story about oil slicks on the windshield. Did he get skin cancer from oil slicks in the middle of the winter? That doesn't make any sense. First of all, I don't believe the oil slick story either. First of all, if you have oil on your windshield, who removes that with windshield wipers? 
Windshield wipers don't remove oil. <laughs> what are you talking about? None of this makes any sense at all, but neither does this president of the United States. So that was that was pretty wonderful. According to the Wall Street Journal, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said on Tuesday that both actions, a public health emergency on abortion and a national emergency on climate, were under consideration that each type of emergency declaration would unlock a different set of authorities and funding. Both steps are opposed by Republicans. Listen, I, I was not in favor when President Trump announced a public health emergency to deal with COVID-19. I'm not a big fan of the executive branch declaring emergencies. He, he did it, I believe, with regard to illegal immigration as well, which is a problem, a major problem, but doesn't really count as a national emergency, like a, like a natural disaster, Hurricane Katrina or something. Presidents from both parties have been accused at times of overstepping their authority with such declarations. According to Elizabeth Goyton, an expert on emergency powers for the Brennan Center for Justice, quote, emergency powers were never meant to address longstanding problems or to implement long-term or semi-permanent solutions. The purpose is to give the president a temporary boost in power to address problems Congress can't address quickly or are moving too quickly for Congress to address. And here is the problem. The, the general governing philosophy here, which is the same as Barack Obama's. Do you remember Barack Obama saying, well, Congress, they won't give me what I want. So I got a pen, I got a phone. I'm going to do what I want. Well, now you've got Joe Biden doing the exact same thing, right? Literally saying right there, Congress won't give me the things that I want to move. So I'm just going to say things and do things and emergency declarations with cancer. According to the Wall Street Journal, several different climate groups and some members of Congress, including Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, support declaring a national emergency on climate. The Biden administration had set a goal of cutting at U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by 50 to 52 percent below 2005 levels by 2030. A goal analysts say the country is now unlikely to meet without swift action. The emergency declaration would allow Biden to take further steps to limit oil exports and drilling, which is exactly what you need. You're sitting here listening to this at the gas station. You're about to pay over $100 to fill your tank. And you're thinking to yourself, man, what I would love is to pay more for my gas right now. And you know why I should do that? Because it's really hot in summer. And, and maybe, maybe if Joe Biden limits oil exploration right now, then in 100 years, sure, it'll still be like two degrees hotter Celsius every summer, but it won't be 2.05 degrees hotter every summer. By the way, even that would be like a massive victory for the climate change advocates. It, it really would. Like the, the, the sort of stats that, that they are relying on, the curbing of global warming here, the, the amount of sacrifice that they are calling for does not pay off in the term that they are calling for this to be, to be done. Apparently, it would allow Biden to also shift federal funding to help domestic wind, solar, and other clean technology manufacturing. It could also open up the administration to legal challenges. On abortion, the White House says declaring a public health emergency is still on the table. I don't understand how it's a public health emergency to not kill unborn human beings. Like, where exactly is the public health emergency right here? Aides are arguing that legal authority and resources would be limited. The bulk of the government's existing funding for public health emergency already went toward tackling COVID-19. But what this really is about, the declaration of the emergency, is for Joe Biden to say to his base that he still cares about their priorities. All politics has now become performative. It's not that he really wants to unlock the powers that go along with a, an emergency declaration on climate change. What Joe Biden really wants is to just demonstrate to people that he cares about climate change. Because this seems to be all people care about when it comes to their politicians these days. Do my politicians care deeply about the things I care about? Not can they get anything done? Not exactly how does the government work and what is possible? If politics is the art of the possible, or it used to be, the new art of, the, the, the new art of politics is the art of the provocative. If you say what your base wants you to say, then somehow you're a successful politician, even if you're incapable of actually doing anything. Right now, the, uh, the Democrats, they are taking advantage of the fact that President Trump declared a national emergency to fund a border wall. In 2020, the Supreme Court, by a 5-4 vote, permitted construction to move forward while litigation proceeded. And Democrats are now saying that because Trump opened that door, again, I at the time pointed out that 
using national emergency declarations to do things you can't get through Congress is bad policy and opens the doors to Democrats doing the same. Senator Jeff Merkley is saying that Trump's case can now be seen as a test run for Biden to declare a climate emergency, even though the court really never reached a final ruling on emergency powers. Gene Su, a senior attorney for the Center for Biological Diversity involved in litigating the case against Trump, supports Biden declaring a climate emergency. So the case for Trump doing it is that the Democrats were going to do it anyway. And so both sides, I guess, don't have to pay any attention to the rules. Joe Biden is using his emergency powers. Those things broaden out with each and every president. It's bad policy. I'll tell you what else is bad policy. Spending way too much money on things like your mailing and shipping. If you're a small business or a business that just ships lots of packages, why exactly would you spend tons of money when you don't have to? Instead, do what we do and use stamps.com. Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping quick, easy, and cost-effective. Here at Daily Wire, we've been using stamps.com since 2017. We do not waste our time. Stamps.com saves you time, money, and stress. For more than 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Stamps.com gives you access to all the post office and UPS shipping services you need right from your computer. And you can get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 30% off USPS rates and 86% off UPS. Streamline your shipping process with Stamps.com's easy-to-use software. All you need is your regular computer and printer. No special supplies or equipment is necessary. You're up and running in minutes. Printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send it. So... Whether you're in an office sending invoices or an Etsy shop sending your products or warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com is your mailing and shipping solution. Go check them out today. Stop wasting your time. Start saving money when you use Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code Shapiro for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter a promo code Shapiro to get started. And well, Joe Biden's climate advisor, Gina McCarthy, she really lets the cat out of the bag here. She says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to regulate, and then we're going to regulate, and then we're going to regulate some more. And again, most Americans are looking at the price of gas right now. They're looking at the price of goods at stores. They're looking at all of their inflated bills, and they're thinking, are you out of your damned minds? But apparently, they are. Joe Biden's going for it. EPA has every ability in the world to continue to regulate in a way that recognizes the pollution that's associated with the burning of fossil fuels and that advances the opportunities for clean energy. So we are still going to regulate and we're going to regulate strong. And part of the efforts moving forward will be to make sure that we expedite the process of regulation. More regulation. That's exactly what Americans are clamoring for, more regulation. Now, listen, the reason that Joe Biden is doing this is because what Joe Biden has to fear so long as he doesn't retire is the possibility of a primary challenge. What he wants to do is demonstrate to his Democratic voters, again, his fealty to their principles, even if he can't actually achieve the goals that he is setting here. But all this means is really making the American people suffer so that he can get his primary voters back on board because he certainly doesn't have the broad spectrum of Americans behind him. Pete Buttigieg, widely seen by echo chamber Democrats as a possible presidential candidate, thanks to his sterling record as the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, where he could not fill potholes. But hey, he's gay. He's the secretary of transportation. He says the big problem right now is people are dying from the heat. Yes, we can and must act to make sure that we reverse the worst effects of climate change. Look, some of it's upon us right now. There, this is not a question about whether it's going to happen or whether it's not going to happen. It's a question of they're going to keep rising. It's a question of how many lives and and how many livelihoods are going to be destroyed by allowing the worst effects of climate change to happen. Right now, people, you know, I've never known the United States. I've never known the United States for something that may or may not happen by 2030. They're dying from the heat because of a climate-related extreme weather. But we're not going to cut uh, emissions until 2030. In the meantime, they need energy 
to cool their homes and to heat their homes. By the way, this is a CNBC host Joe Kernan just destroying Buttigieg on this emergency declaration. So you hear Buttigieg say, what if we just regulate so that in 100 years, the climate is slightly less hot than it otherwise would be? And Joe Kernan's like, it's hot right now. And you know what's a way that we deal with it being hot right now is by turning on our air conditioner. You know what we need in order to actually turn on our air conditioner? Energy. You know where that energy comes from? All the things that you're trying to regulate, you idiot. So here is CNBC host Joe Kernan really woodshedding Buttigieg right here. If the president declares a, a climate emergency, executive order, we are going to stop oil and gas drilling in the outer continental shelf. We're going to do all kinds of things that, that will limit production of hydrocarbons at this time with the idea that by 2030, everyone else is going to be along with us and that, that will somehow you think we're going to we're going to be able to change the weather between or the climate between now and 2030. With what China well, we've changed the climate between 20, we've changed the climate be, between 2010 and now and not in a good way. OK, but that, that's yes, that's that's Kernan's point is, OK, now it's really hot. And you're telling people that if they want people to be slightly less, again, I, I always say slightly less hot than they otherwise would be because the climate is already going to continue to warm. It's not as though we just stop the climate dead in its tracks. If we cut off carbon emissions right now, that's not the way that any of this works. Because here's the reality when it comes to climate change. And again, this gets people labeled a climate denier because the label climate denier is basically just applied to anyone who doesn't go along with the left-wing agenda. If I say global warming is happening, climate change is happening, because by most available data, it is. If I say that that is largely human-generated, because by most available data, it is. If I say that human beings are really bad at mitigation, but very good at adaptation, and that the thing that human beings should be focused on is how to protect ourselves from climate change as we develop technological solutions for climate change that are not wind and solar. If I say that sort of stuff, then they say you're a climate denier, despite the fact that the policies that I'm proposing actually help human beings. More air conditioning is a good thing. More economic prosperity is a good thing. More homes that are capable of barring extreme weather events. Those are good things. And yet for the left, they're bad things. If you say those things, then you are insufficiently dedicated to the proposition that climate change must be ended by seizing the use of fossil fuels. My proposition is that you're much better off using fossil fuels to keep people from dying today while you develop the technological solutions that are going to replace fossil fuels in the mid to long term. The left proposition is we should do a bunch of stuff that makes no sense and isn't going to help anything over the course of the next hundred years, really. But at least you will have shown that you care about climate change. Because here's the thing, folks, more people die every year of cold than they do of heat. I know the media like to cover the really hot summers because it's hot during the summer. Again, it will never cease to be a source of bewilderment to me that every single summer we're supposed to cover the summer as though it's a piece of news. Wow, it's, it's amazing. Wow, it, it got really hot this summer. Yes, it is slightly hotter this summer than it was last summer. It may be slightly hotter the summer after that. But that does not mean that the solution to that is to bar people from using the resources they have at their disposal to survive. More people die from cold than hot every year. I know that's a weird stat that people don't like to pay attention to, but that's been true pretty much every year that we have a record for it. Okay, beyond that, the, the heat waves in the past killed far more people. The reason is not because it was cooler then or because it was hotter then, per, per se. The reason that they used to kill a lot more people is because we didn't know how to deal with it very well. The Washington Post, in fact, has a piece today titled The U.S. is Sweltering. The heat wave of 1936 was far deadlier. Quote, abandoned vehicles sinking into scorching hot orange silt, fields of dying crops, ghost towns cowering under black clouds of dust. The killer U.S. heat wave of 1936 spread as far north as Canada, led to the heat-related deaths of an estimated 5,000 people, sent thermometers to a record 121 degrees Fahrenheit in Steele, North Dakota, and made that July the warmest month ever recorded in the United States. 
In much of the central United States, summer of 1936 was even hotter than it is today. At their peak, temperatures in North Dakota were warmer than midsummer Death Valley and hot enough to cook rare steak in the street. Few residents struggling in those temperatures would have been able to afford such a meal. The heat wave struck during the Great Depression six years into a sustained period of crop failure and economic hardship. The North American heat wave of 1936 followed one of the coldest recorded winters in the same exact area. In North Dakota, February temperatures at Devil's Lake plunged to minus 21 degrees. Although greenhouse gases have warmed the world's oceans since the 1830s and global warming concerns were raised as early as 1896, the pronounced swing in temperatures in 1936 isn't generally considered to be part of human-driven climate change. Now, again, one of the inconvenient facts about climate change is that you do have years where it was hotter than it is today and it had nothing to do with human emissions. And the simple fact is there have been times in the Earth's history where it's been way hotter than it was today and way cooler than it is today. But according to the Washington Post, as documented in 1936 North American heat wave, the history of America's deadly heat wave during the Dust Bowl and Great Depression, temperatures began to rise rapidly in March with rainfall becoming scarce. By June, a drought was consuming the Northeast. Soon, the West and the South were experiencing the same conditions. We had fans recalled the 88-year-old Columbus resident Louis Sager in 2016. The temperature had hit 103 degrees for seven consecutive days. Air conditioning was available only in a few stores and theaters. Okay, and herein lies the rub, okay? 5,000 heat-related deaths have been reported across America during that 1936 heat wave. Today, heat remains America's deadliest weather killer, causing more fatalities in an average year than tornadoes, hurricanes, or flooding. That's not even really true. Really cold causes more deaths year on year than, than does heat. But the simple fact of the matter is that human beings have gotten way better at dealing with the heat. I mean, the... It really is amazing. Their conclusion here is, quote, if the conditions of the 1936 heat wave were to take place now, the result would likely be far more severe. Should this ocean warming reoccur in exactly the same constellation, according to one expert, because of climate change, it's likely the temperature impacts would be even more devastating. And those old records may be surpassed. Right, but 5,000 people wouldn't die. You know why? Because everybody has air conditioning now. Because we're way wealthier. The, the growth of human wealth and productivity is the, the great barrier against climate-related deaths. This is why to deprive human beings, of GDP growth, particularly in areas that are vulnerable, in order to lower the temperature is a fool's errand. You're better off, depending on the amount of temperature increase that we are talking about. And Nobel Prize in Economics winner William Nordhaus says that that's probably two degrees Celsius. Depending on the amount of increase in temperature you're talking about, you're probably better off allowing that temperature increase to occur if the alternative is you shut down all industry if the alternatives, you shut down people's ability to actually protect themselves against the climate. And by the way, there are other effects to doing the kind of climate policy that Joe Biden is pushing for right now. And we've been lying to ourselves in the West that we're going to pursue green policy and that is somehow going to lower carbon emissions, generally speaking, and we won't have to use oil and natural gas. That's not the way any of this works. Instead, what the West really has done is the West has played a game where it lowers its climate emissions while simultaneously outsourcing all of those climate emissions to places like Russia or Mexico or China. We let them do the dirty work and then we get to feel all good about ourselves. There's only one problem. What happens when those sources of oil and natural gas get cut off, which is exactly what's happening in Europe right now with regard to Russia? All of our proposals here in the West for combating climate change rely on global participation. But um, what if none of those people participate? Uh, here's the thing. You want at your company, everybody to participate. You want the best available employees. This is why we value Jess so much. It is indeed her birthday. And so we celebrate Jess, who makes this show run the way that it should. We're on the road, which means it's not running at par. 
But when we get back to where we ought to be, Jess will be making that happen. This is why you should get great employees like Jess. And you can do that at ZipRecruiter when you try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of January 1, 2022. So travel to this easy-to-remember web destination, ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That is where you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. Right now, by the way, while Joe Biden is claiming that he wants to lower carbon emissions and he wants to declare a climate emergency, the United States, according to the Wall Street Journal, is initiating a trade fight with Mexico over its energy policy. The U.S. launched a trade fight against Mexico on Wednesday, accusing President Andres Manuel López Obrador's government of favoring its state-owned utility and oil company at the expense of American businesses. The U.S. is seeking to dispute settlement consultants consultations under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. It also represents a challenge by the Biden administration to López Obrador's efforts to regain government control over the country's oil and electricity markets. López Obrador mocked the United States and said, ooh, I'm so scared. He then said nothing will happen, referring to the trade dispute. In launching the dispute, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai said an array of Mexican policies undermine American companies and U.S. produced energy in favor of Mexico's state-owned power company. We have repeatedly expressed serious concerns about a series of changes in Mexico's energy policies and their consistency with Mexico's commitments under the U.S. MCA. The policies discourage investment by clean energy suppliers and by companies that seek to purchase clean, reliable energy, she said. So basically, we want more energy available from Mexico. We don't want them simply nationalizing everything, again, in direct conflict with, with Joe Biden's economic policies and, and climate change policies. And as we say, the Biden administration is now stuck between a rock and a hard place. They've decided to pander to the Greens at the exact same time that you need to actually slap the Greens upside the head and remind them that human beings are still using carbon-based fossil fuels in order to power their lives. Steve Ratner, former Obama economic advisor, points out, you know, as much as Joe Biden is talking about declining oil prices, that ain't going to last. He says gas is not going to hit three three fifty a gallon anytime soon here. Oil prices, crude oil prices, which is obviously the most important ingredient in gasoline, seem to have stabilized and even gone up a little bit since they started drop from, from their low point when they started dropping. And so, yes, we'll get some relief at the gas station, but it's not going back to $3 or $3.5 anytime soon. Meanwhile, Joe Manchin, who may be the only thing standing between Joe Biden and a 10% approval rating, because if Joe Biden had actually been able to pursue his favorite Democratic policies, the price of oil and gas would be even higher than it is right now. Joe Manchin is like, guys, what are you talking about? Most Americans right now are worried about inflation. Uh, the criticism I'm getting uh, from the people who are saying, well, Joe Manchin strings, I'm not stringing you along. Don't you believe inflation is the number one thing in America right now that's hurting every human being? Also, by the way, utterly unrealistic policy on behalf of the environmental movement has led to continued dependency on places like Russia. According to CNBC, the EU is now asking its own member states to ration energy. Why? Well, because they pursued exactly the kind of policies that Joe Biden likes. And then under the table, they were shipping in a bunch of Russian natural oil, natural gas and oil. According to CNBC, European countries are being asked to curb their consumption of natural gas by at least 15% until next spring as part of a wider plan to deal with reduced supplies from Russia. So they're in the middle of a record heat wave over there. You need energy supply in order to turn on the air conditioner. And the EU is now relegated to asking its member states to cut 
their consumption of energy by 15%. The European Commission, the executive arm of the EU, on Wednesday presented a strategy on how countries can prepare for the winter period when their energy needs are much higher. So you think things are bad right now? Wait until we hit the brutal winter in Europe when people actually need energy to heat their homes and they're being told that the energy is no longer available because of the long-term effects of bad environmental policy and the short-term effects of Vladimir Putin cutting off the oil supply. The plan comes as Russia's energy giant Gazprom claims it cannot fulfill gas contracts with the bloc, a major headache for European nations given they have been so dependent on Russian energy before the invasion of Ukraine. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said, quote, Russia is blackmailing us. Russia is using energy as a weapon. And therefore, in any event, whether a partial major cutoff of Russian gas or a total cutoff of Russian gas, Europe needs to be ready. By the way, this is an interesting language. Russia is using energy as a weapon. The West used Russia's energy as a weapon. We were told by all of the experts that what would bring Russia to the table was the energy sanctions. I supported the energy sanctions on that basis. But it turns out they had no long-term plan to end the war at all. It turns out they weren't going to give Vladimir Putin any sort of off-ramp. So instead, they've cut off their own supply of energy, which they wouldn't have needed in the first place, except they'd made themselves dependent on Vladimir Putin because of their bad green policy. The current plan asks the 27 EU nations to cut their gas consumption by 15% between August 1 and March 31st, 2023. To achieve that, the 27 EU governments will have to update their national emergency plans and report to the commission every two months on how they are progressing toward their goals. So far, 12 member states have been hit by reduced gas flows and a couple more have been totally shut off from the Russian supplies. By the way, if you think that this can continue in these European countries without significant political ramifications, you are totally wrong. Because guess what? The people in these countries, they're not going to decide... It's one thing to say in the middle of the spring, hey, guys, you know, higher gas prices to, to face down Vladimir Putin, that is worth it. But when Vladimir Putin has already consolidated his gains in Donetsk and Luhansk and the Crimea area, when he's already done that, and when it seems like this war has settled into a stalemate, and when an off-ramp is still not being offered, and when we hit the winter and people can't turn on their heater, and grandma's freezing in the other room, do you think that the governments are still going to be able to get away with this? Or do you think that the population is going to rebel and threaten to get rid of those governments? Already, energy policy has brought down multiple governments in the, in the, uh, on the planet in the last several months. Right? Sri Lanka's government fell because of their garbage environmental policy. We have significant political ramifications up in the Netherlands where farmers are protesting the environmental policy of the Netherlands government. This is likely to become worse and worse because the elites, once again, they made promises they could not fulfill that if you move toward green energy, that the net benefits would outweigh the net detriments. So far, that has not been even remotely the case. Von der Leyen said it is a likely scenario that Russia will completely shut down its supplies to the bloc. As a result, she added any disruption would have consequences for all countries irrespective of their energy needs. She said it's important that all member states contribute to the saving, the storing, and are ready to share gas with the EU nations that might need it. Now, again, meanwhile in Ukraine, by the way, is any of this working? Apparently, the answer is not really. The sanctions have not been a giant win. According to the New York Times, Russia is now expanding its territorial aims in Ukraine, according to its foreign minister. Russia's ambitions in Ukraine are now stretched beyond the country's eastern territories, the country's foreign minister said on Wednesday. A, department, a departure from the Kremlin's earlier claims it is not waging a war of imperial expansion. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov told RIA, RIA Novosti, the Russian state news agency, that Russia's territorial aims have changed to now include a swath of the South as peace negotiations have failed and the situation on the ground has changed. This is an ongoing process, said Lavrov, adding Russia's objective could expand further if Western countries deliver more long-range weapons to Ukraine. He specifically mentioned the HI Mars rocket multiple launchers that the United States has delivered to Ukraine and which have been instrumental in limiting Russian advances by hitting faraway targets, including munitions depots. On Wednesday, the U.S. promised to deliver another four of those launchers. Russia is also stepping up attacks in Kherson province in the south. 
which is a possible prelude to a large-scale counteroffensive, which could shift the dynamic of the war. I think that the hope of many in the West is that there will be a large-scale military push from Ukraine that will eventually force, by, uh, force Putin to the table before winter. But if that doesn't happen and we hit winter, Russia's counting on winter. As it has historically in the past, winter has been Russia's friend. And it seems like that is what Russia is banking on right now. Lavrov said on Wednesday, Moscow is now eyeing parts of the Kherson and Zaporizhka provinces of Ukraine's south, parts of which are currently occupied by Russian forces, as well as a number of other territories. Meanwhile, again, the Wall Street Journal pointing out that Putin's gas game is to, quote, toy with Europe's supply and make its leaders squirm. While Vladimir Putin wages a conventional war in Ukraine, he has opened a second front in Europe that is now coming to a head, a battle over natural gas. European countries have been nervously waiting to see if the Russian president turns on the gas taps on the continent in the coming days after a 10-day period when the main pipeline has been shut down for routine maintenance. On Tuesday, Putin said Russia would fulfill its obligations, but warned that flows could be hit if sanctions prevent further maintenance from taking place. Russia has been delivering natural gas to Europe at well below full capacity for months. European leaders denounced the latest move as an effort by Putin to use Russian state-owned energy giant Gazprom to keep customers guessing. Again, why wouldn't he use the tools at his disposal considering that the West has declared full-scale economic warfare on Russia? Why wouldn't he use energy in this game? And all of that is only happening because the United States, which is still the global, the, the, the world's top oil supplier. The United States has been openly talking about ramping down its energy production. You got Joe Biden yesterday literally saying that he wants to ramp down energy production. So the New York Times, which has helped push for all of this, they're now whining about it. They say war and warming upend global energy supplies and amplify suffering. First, Russia upended the world energy market. Then searing temperatures drove up demand for energy forcing some of the world's largest economies to scramble to secure power for their citizens. Well, they wouldn't have had to scramble if they didn't follow your preferred climate change policy for the past 20 years. But, says Samini Sengupta and Melissa Eddy, deadly heat and Russia's war in Ukraine are packing a brutal double punch, upending the global energy market, forcing some of the world's largest economies into a desperate scramble to secure electricity for their citizens. France on Tuesday detailed its plans to renationalize electricity utility to shore up the nation's energy independence by refreshing its fleet of aging nuclear plants. Germany pushed the EU to greenlight cheap loans for new gas projects, potentially prolonging its reliance on the fossil fuel for decades longer. Europe is not alone in feeling the effects of energy turmoil on a hotter planet. Again, it turns out that human beings, very good at adaptation, and that means adaptation to changed foreign circumstances, very, very bad at long-term cooperation on mitigation. And yet what the left keeps saying is that we should abandon adaptation in favor of mitigation proposals. What does all of this mean? It means that the economy is likely to be in the doldrums for quite a while longer. Goldman Sachs' CEO yesterday said, you know, guys, inflation is not transitory. It ain't going anywhere. How do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy? When you look at numbers like 82% of Americans feel like economic conditions are poor, how, how, how is the Biden administration handling this? I, I think the Biden administration needs to be very focused right now on doing what it can do to take policy action, some of which we talked about, to help dampen this down. They've got to recognize that this is not a short-term thing. They live in election cycles. It's not transitory. It's, they, well, it's definitely not transitory. That's David Solomon of Goldman Sachs. Again, the economy is likely to be in these doldrums so long as you pursue really bad policy because energy policy is a major component of a successful economy. Now, folks, speaking of bad democratic policy that has really dire effects, we'll get to illegal immigration in just a second. But there's another democratic policy that is really having dire effects across the country. That is softness on crime. It's one of the reasons why you rely on your Second Amendment rights to protect yourself. I'm sure you've seen stories 
even in the last couple of weeks, of a good guy who has to use his gun in order to protect himself or others. Well, sometimes it ends with that person being hailed as a hero by the media, and sometimes it ends with that person being arrested. Here is the thing. You've got to be prepared for the mental, physical, and legal ramifications of self-defense, which is why I'm a member of the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. Right now, the USCCA is giving away a free concealed carry and family defense guide and a chance to win $1,000 to buy a gun to protect yourself and your family 100% free. You can get it when you text Ben to 87222. You're going to learn in this guide how to detect attackers before they see you, what the USCCA has learned about school shootings, equipment and training basics, about the law and justice systems, how to responsibly own and store a gun, even if you have little kids, actually particularly if you have little kids, and a whole lot more. It's a 58-page guide loaded with valuable information. Just text Ben to 87222 to get started. You'll get instant access and a chance to win a 1000 bucks so you can buy a gun to protect your family today. Text Ben to 87222 right now to get started. Alrighty, folks. So, we have so much going on here at Daily Wire Plus. In fact, tonight is my book club, 8 p.m. Eastern time. This this month, we are doing Exodus, the fantastic bestseller by Leon Uris, all about the history of the state of Israel. Obviously, we are in Israel right now. We're going to be doing it from a spectacular location just above the Western Wall, so you're going to want to watch it. Don't forget to tune into my book club. You actually need to be an all-access member. So head on over to dailywireplus.com, sign up or upgrade today. Get 35% off your new membership. That's Daily Wire Plus. Dot com. Then join me in the Holy Land tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. Discover Leon Uris's Exodus. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. <laughs> Meanwhile, speaking of bad Democratic policy that has effect on Democrats that is bad, illegal immigration. This administration has been just a horror show on the border. We have had worse illegal immigration every single month under the Biden administration than we have had at any time in American history. We now have literally thousands of children being held in detention. I remember when that was a major issue in the United States. Apparently, that is no longer a major issue in the United States because the president has a D after his name. In one of the most hilarious stories of the day, Mayor Eric Adams of New York, again, part of a party that is a big proponent of illegal immigration and simply catch and release on the border. He is now complaining that too many illegal immigrants are arriving in New York City and it's straining the city's social services. Here is Eric Adams, mayor of New York. Who, by the way, remember that time that he was elected in order to lower the crime rates and that, that didn't happen in New York City? And it turns out things really are still really bad there because it turns out bad policy is just embedded in the New York governmental structure. Here's Eric Adams complaining about the influx of illegal immigrants into New York. This is a real burden on New Yorkers as we're trying to do the right thing. Uh, we already, as I stated, we already have an overburdened shelter system. So now we're talking about, as you stated, food, clothing, school. This is going to impact our, uh, our schools because we do not turn away individuals because they're undocumented. Uh, translation services. There's just a whole host of things that this is going to produce. And that's why we need, we need help. Meanwhile, by the way, Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C. is making exactly the same complaints. She said on national TV that her city's homeless shelters were filling up because of buses being sent en masse to the city from Texas and Arizona. So they're perfectly happy to have illegal immigrants swamping small towns along the border so long as it's in Texas and Arizona. When major cities, big cities like D.C. and New York are forced to take in a couple of thousand illegal immigrants, then it's a strain on social services in the city. According to... NBC New York. The problem in New York City is exacerbated by its right to shelter mandate, which means any homeless asylum seeker who comes to town by any means must be put in a bed somewhere. Again, that is a bad policy. The city does not have a duty to put homeless people in a bed somewhere. That, that, that's in, in what way should the city government be forced to put people in a bed who shouldn't be in the country in the first place? 
Again, the, the, the goal here should be to put people who literally cannot take care of themselves in a homeless shelter. And we have many private auspices for doing so. We have private charities that provide tons of homeless shelter beds and all the rest of this. But the idea that the taxpayers of New York City are, are supposed to now have a duty to provide a bed for anybody who just shows up in New York City, that's going to make your city into an illegal immigration magnet, is it not? I mean, that's what has happened in California, for example. According to Adams, quote, currently New York City is experiencing a market increase in the number of asylum seekers who are arriving from Latin America and other regions. In some instances, families are arriving on buses sent by the Texas and Arizona governments. In other cases, it appears individuals are being sent by the feds. He said more than 2,800 asylum seekers had entered the shelter system in recent weeks. So by the way, I'd just like to point out here that tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people are arriving at the southern border every month and tiny towns in Texas and Arizona and New Mexico these places are being swamped by illegal immigration. And anybody from these towns who mentions this is a bigot. If you are in a, if you are in a town in California, that population 6,000 and 500 illegal immigrants show up on buses and you start complaining, hey, this is straining our social services. This isn't what we bargained for. Then you are a bigot. But if you're in New York City with a population of 8, 9, 10 million people and 2,800 people show up needing homeless shelters over the course of weeks, then apparently the New York City mayor is allowed to complain about the strain on social services. The offices of both Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey denied Adams' claim. They said in separate statements they were in fact sending asylum seekers to Washington, not to New York City. So people are being redirected from Washington, D.C. to New York City. A spokesperson for Adams responded to the pushback claims saying governors should have more compassion for those seeking asylum in the country. I love it. I love it. So if you're Abbott or if you're Ducey, we need more compassion from you. If they show up at our door, well, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of dicey. I mean, we, do we have the resources for these people? But Texas and Arizona should take hundreds of thousands of them in. Millions over the course of the year. The spokesperson said, quote, if they need financial help, they should ask for it instead of heartlessly sending asylum seekers on their way, on their way with a one-way ticket. Why? I mean, I thought that you guys are more charitable. Isn't, isn't the kind thing to do to send them to Washington, D.C., a place of open hearts and open wallets? I'm, I'm, what, why, why exactly is it bad that they're sending people? I thought that that would be like, a, it, it's a great opportunity to, to, for them to visit the halls of the federal government that have allowed them into the country despite the fact that they have no legal right to be here. The spokesperson for Adams said, quote, in New York City, we have a legal and moral mandate to provide shelter to everyone who needs it and will continue to fulfill that mandate. But as we have said, we urgently need federal support to help us do so. Oh, you mean because of your bad policy? According to the New York City Department of Homeless Services, there were 28,885 individuals classed as a member of a family with children in the shelter system as of Sunday. That's about 12% higher than the daily average in March. The last month for which such data are available is 12% higher than this time last year. Adams said the city needs additional federal resources immediately. He said that they may struggle to provide basic services if they are not received. Again, we are talking about a 12% increase in homeless shelters in one of America's biggest city, forget one of, America's biggest city. And this is swamping the social services right there. But again, if if there's a problem in places along the Texas, Arizona, Mexico border, then that's just racism. And you're not supposed to pay attention to any of it. The Democrats definitely in touch with the, the needs of the people. Meanwhile, Democrats continue to push forward with their radical rhetoric with regard to abortion. Remember, they want executive action from Joe Biden, not just on climate change, but also on abortion. And uh, the arguments, I'm never going to stop saying it, because they keep making bad arguments. The arguments that the left keeps making on abortion are bad and weird and kind of ugly. Nancy Pelosi, yesterday the Speaker of the House, soon to be the minority leader, she says birth control is a kitchen table issue. I don't know what you're doing on your kitchen table, but all right. We want to be sure that people know what this means in the lives of America's families, or not even families, just in terms of American women 
and their decisions. Indeed, we must ensure that American people remember in November the truth. While the Republicans seek to punish and control our most personal decisions, what could be more personal than that? And this is a kitchen table issue. This has an impact on the finances of a family in addition to the health of a family. Abortion is a kitchen table issue. And fewer kids around the kitchen table is a kitchen table issue, especially if you can kill them before they're born. Meanwhile, NBC News is doing its best for, uh, on behalf of alarmism, highlighting a woman who is being sterilized over Roe versus Wade. So she's so afraid that she might get pregnant that she's now being sterilized. Now, listen, if she really doesn't want to have kids, then I suppose more power to her in being sterilized. That's a more responsible decision than actually getting pregnant and then killing the unborn baby. But um, I'm just going to point out that a society in which people routinely sterilize themselves to prevent pregnancy does not seem like a healthy society. After the draft decision was leaked, um, I decided to uh, schedule the procedure sooner than I had originally anticipated. What was it about that leak that made you say, I'm going to do something for myself now? Well, I've always known I ha like didn't want children and I didn't want to be in a position where I didn't want children and would lack access to contraception as well. So like Megan, I have always known that I didn't want kids. And when we started seeing more of the restrictions coming through, that's when I scheduled my first consultation appointment. You're told that you are too young to make this decision or what if your significant other wants children someday? What if you and change your mind? What if you change your mind? Um, what if you regret this someday? Okay, and, and apparently that's bad. You're never supposed to tell people that they might regret a decision to, you know, prevent themselves from performing their most vital evolutionarily Biolo biological function on planet Earth. You, you wouldn't want anybody to feel a little bad for that 30 seconds while they think, hey, maybe I might want kids 10 years from now. But the broader point is this. If these people were using abortion as a form of birth control, then f this is a better, honestly, like this is a, I'm very much against people self-sterilizing to avoid having kids. I think that it's an actually personal, immoral decision because I think one of your fundamental purposes on this Earth is to produce and rear the next generation. I don't know when that became a controversial position, but apparently it is. But listen, we're a free country. You're allowed to not have kids, obviously. But if you're going to choose to not have kids by getting sterilized, I prefer you do that to having a baby growing within you and then killing the baby within you. The fact that NBC News is positing this as some sort of horrific side effect of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, it seems to me that if you're killing fewer babies and you're achieving the exact same purpose that you wanted to achieve anyway, it's actually a better solution than you killing babies in the womb. By the way, Kamala Harris had a, a wonderful statement about abortion. These people are so out of touch. She said that, you know, banning, uh, allowing abortion doesn't violate your religious faith. These people do not understand religion. They do not understand morality. It's amazing. We must also take steps to protect other fundamental freedoms, including the freedom for a woman to make decisions about her own body. And, you know, on this subject... It's important to note that to support a woman's ability, not her government, but her, to make that decision does not require anyone to abandon their faith or their beliefs. It just requires us to agree the government shouldn't be making that decision for her. You know, allowing people to hold slaves doesn't violate anybody's religious precepts. I mean, after all, that's a personal decision, people holding slaves. So it doesn't violate anybody's religious precepts. If you say to a religious abolitionist that, you know, it doesn't violate your precepts, you just don't have to hold slaves. 
These, these folks don't understand morality. They don't understand religion. They don't understand pretty much anything about anything. All they understand is that they want what they want, and it's all a power game. All righty, we'll be back here a little bit later today with much more content. In the meantime, make sure to go check out Morning Wire. Today's episode is available right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Daily Wire Plus, or wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Savannah Dominguez-Morris, editor Adam Saievitz, audio mixer Mike Coromina, hair and makeup artist and wardrobe Fabiola Cristina, production coordinator Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, the House passes a bill codifying gay marriage, President Biden announces new climate change measures, and murder charges are dropped against New York bodega worker Jose Alba. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 